Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. Let's, let's talk about, let's, let's deal with actually a very favorite passage, preaching passage of mine. It is Mark, um, um, the first chapter beginning uh, at um, verse 40. Uh, there are five verses I have identified, uh, and uh, I hope I do some sense and some semblance of justice to these five um, verses in a way that God will be honored and, and glorified. Um, I, I, I said I wasn't going to read them because that would take up three minutes of my time, but I'm going to read them anyway to set the example. And a leopard came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Please underscore that. Moved with, with pity, some translation says compassion, uh, I'm okay with either one, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him quickly, I will be clean. And, and immediately uh, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly, and some say he commanded him uh, and sent him away at once, at once, uh, and said to him, see, that, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof of, of them. But he went out and began to talk freely, freely about it, and to spread the good news, please underscore that, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming from all around to him from every quarter. Thank you so much for reading along with me. I want to kind of follow what I believe to be a, a kind of overriding theme and perhaps an overriding focus, at least on my part. Um, and I will try to kind of, of, of thread the needle and make sure that this Simonic garment uh, is, is put together by one single thread, the sufficiency of the gospel in the age of fear and polarization. The sufficiency of the gospel in the age of fear and, pro, and, and polarization. For sure, my brothers and sisters, those of us who have a strong sense of humanity cannot resist being drawn into this story uh, and into the drama 
of pain and suffering and rejection and social and psychological death with respect to this person who has been ostracized, this gentleman, I was to call him. If you want a person to become a gentleman, then call him a gentleman. At a minimum, we empathize with him even if we cannot identify with him in terms of what he has endured. And so while our hearts beat with a note of sadness because we see what one writer calls the aroma of death, but as the plot of the story unfolds, it strikes the chord of jubilation in us as this gentleman experienced a kind of resurrection resulting from rubbing shoulders with the compassion of Jesus. Just as in the parallel uh, gospels of Matthew and Luke, Mark depicts Jesus as both honoring and ignoring religious prohibitions to advance the kingdom ideals. And of course, if I were in my church, I would say amen right about now. <laughs> so the question becomes, why did Jesus flagrantly violate norms and beliefs so vitally important to the institution? Why did he show indifference to religious norms as reported also in the parallel gospels? He transgressed religious constraints to elevate the interest and priority of God. Then I suppose it therefore safe to argue and to conclude that restoring individuals to salvific health and wholeness and life is a priority of God. And therefore, if it's a priority of God, then it has to be, it must be our priority. I wish I had someone to say amen. <laughs> what, what, what is certain? What is certain? In other words, what does this mean that, that, that our preference uh, should mirror God's interests? Um, Jesus does something very remarkable. Uh, what is certain um, is the action uh, about Jesus' glaring violation of religious constraints. Uh, and, and his action actually uh, and literally, it tore down religious and psychological walls, barriers, and removed dividing lines that separated groups. It must be hastily said, however, uh, that Jesus going against religious restraints by reaching across well-defined lines, reaching across the track and going to the other side of the street where few men and women dare go did not win him the Man of the Year Award, rather a curse of a cross to bear. As we look closely at our passage, we see one, I think, important point. It may not be your point. It may not be your insight. It may not be what you are getting. We are different. Uh, we don't see 
the same thing, but we can talk about the same God. I see in this, in the first verse, verse 40, uh, I see that sufficiency again. The sufficiency of the gospel engenders faith and hope in those who are scandalous. That is a strong word. I intended it to be strong, scandalous. Uh, for there is no place, there is no depth that Jesus cannot reach us with the gospel. Verse 40 introduces a gentleman who had leprosy. What is unusual about this guy is not the leprosy, but his response and his willingness to defy the rules governing what one should do and how one should behave. He too completely gives total disregard to uh, the social and religious norms of that time. Arguably worse of all, he takes certain liberties with Jesus. Some of us around the interpreted table use the word accosted. He accosted Jesus, which implies uh, that Jesus became perturbed because he did not appreciate this leopard, unwanted advances toward him. Still, others of us around the table think that this word is a little too strong. Why? Um, because it is inconsistent with the Jesus that we know, and it is inconsistent with his life and his teaching, and particularly his, his ministry. Yes, it is somewhat inconsistent, perhaps, maybe, we are, as we do oftentimes, and not intentionally, but we sometimes will project uh, ourselves on, on the text and project our feelings and project our thoughts on the text. And I'm not suggesting that your thoughts, your feelings, and your experiences are not important, but that cannot guide interpretation. That cannot be the measuring stick. That cannot be the yardstick. Uh, and, and, and so we have to be careful about projecting, projecting. If we are honest with ourselves, most of us are uncomfortable. I know I am. We may as well be honest with strangers approaching and entering our space our social space suddenly and abruptly and un unannounced. There is uh, little appreciation for a, a person uh, who invades your, your, your space. How many times have you and I, I know this is real, particularly during the last year, during this pandemic storm, how many times you and I were somewhat accosted by a stranger who was homeless, who was hungry, who was in trouble and invaded our space. I might as well be honest, many of them took me off guard uh, and I felt somewhat uncomfortable. That is a human uh, reaction. And some of the first words is, is can you, do you have any spare? Spare, spare change. Come on, are you still out there? Do you have any spare change? What, what makes this so challenging for me is, and I might as well be honest, they always approach me at the wrong time. 
Isn't that something? And that's just like ministry. I'm not prepared for it. I don't have no money. I'm attending a meeting. I'm in a hurry. I got my family. It is always an inappropriate time. And so in, in, in this sense, sometimes I, I don't appreciate um, um, when, when people just show up in my space. But that's what ministry is, is all about. You, you, know, you know why? When I say it is not convenient, uh, come see me at another time. To them, the ideal of respecting my space or waiting for a time of convenience for, for, for us is not the real world they live in. You, you, you need to get that. They, they, they are not in, 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 that, in that world. Desperation uh, does not have the convenience to play by the rules. Desperation does not have the luxury of abiding by social etiquettes. The gentleman insisted, watch this, you can make me clean. I'm in your space. You can help me. You have the answer. He's getting too close to Jesus. Looks like desperation, but his insistence in terms of his words sounds like faith. And while there's a difference between desperation and faith, I don't want to separate the two. Yes, he was desperate, but there is some indication that this man believed in something. That is why he invaded the space of Jesus. I wish somebody would just say something. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes, yes, he invaded the, the space of, of, of Jesus. I, I, I would like to believe it is both desperation and faith, and I don't want to separate um, the two. He seemed to, 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 even though he did not mention faith, he clearly, clearly evidenced and or affirm some confidence. Got it? That this is my time, this is my hour, this is my moment. I am at the right place before the right person, and something got a change in my life. The sufficiency of the gospel. I came, I was born and reared on a farm. They always say if, if, if something looked like a duck, if it walked like a duck, if it cracked like a duck, then it, it must be. Amen. And I'm saying that, that this, this man walked like faith. He talks like faith. He acts like faith. And apparently, it is safe for me to conclude without getting any pushback from you that this man had some believability in Jesus. Yes, he believed in Jesus. What else was he there? He wasn't there to get a peanut butter sandwich. Why else did he invade this man's space? He wasn't there to talk about Michael Jordan or Tiger Woods. No, this, this man was concerned about one thing, one thing only, and that's what the sufficiency of the gospel will do for you. It will, it will shape you and it will point you 
towards that which is necessary and that which is, is right. It seems that, 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 that he was, he was very certain all he knew up to this point was rejection. All he knew was isolation. All he knew at, at this point were people avoiding him. And I suspect that is not a good feeling to have when someone is avoiding you. Amen? Yes. But, but now, but now he finds someone who, who is interested in him. Listen, God, listen, listen. I believe that Jesus did not respond to this man because of his sickness, because of his pain, because of his leprosy. I believe that Jesus responded to this guy because of his faith, that God always moved, not by our peculiar condition, but by our peculiar faith. What moves Jesus, what moves God in Jesus is, is faith. So you take your little problems to God, take your little sickness to God, take your peculiar ailments to God. Without faith, you're not going to move God. You don't get pity from God. You don't get compassion from, from, from Christ our Lord without some, some authentic faith. How did this gentleman, I got to rush, how did this gentleman know about Jesus in the first place? Oh, the man was in a, a leopard colony cell. How, how did he come about uh, in terms of this knowledge of, of Jesus in the, in the first place? Where and how did he come into the awareness of the attitude of Jesus toward people like himself? Up to this point, as I said, he had already experienced a lot of negative things. Did he have a dream? Did he read about Jesus in the local newspaper? Did he get it from grapevine talk? Was it a hunch? Was it simply by chance? Or was it simply he was at the right place at the right time? Was it fate? Was it fatalistic? Was it, was it uh, uh, a destiny? Was it fatalism or, or was it simply luck? How did this man know about Jesus? How did he know? The most plausible answer, at least for me, is that he heard about Jesus, uh, that Jesus was profoundly interested in, in his particular Situation, And in order for this guy to hear about Jesus, then someone else had to be heard preaching and teaching and spreading the good news about, about Jesus. Wow, this is, wow, wow, this is speculative, but I first want to say hearing is biblical. Hearing is theological. For Romans 10, 17 says, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the, the word of God, the sufficiency of God. I just don't believe one can sit under preaching too long without the power of the gospel drawing him. There's a song that we sing in the black church. You may sing it in your church. I don't know. 
but it says there is room at the cross for me. How, how, how did he know? He, he, he heard. And so the gospel will surely find you. The gospel will go where you are, get to your hurt. And this is an excellent model for the church uh, that, 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 that we need to spread the good news. Somebody need to be talking about Jesus other than our political affiliation. Come, 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 follow me. Somebody, somebody need to make Jesus their theme. Are you with me? Other than talking about other issues that ultimately and inevitably will separate us. Yes, Jesus ought to be our message. Jesus ought to be our tone. We need to talk about Jesus, Jesus, and not about uh, other stuff that really doesn't matter in our lives. Now, listen, I, I realize we don't live in the church. My mama thought that I lived in the church. My mama wanted me to act the same way in the church as I did when I got outside the church. <laughs> I couldn't do that as a teenager. When I went to the ball games, I couldn't act like I act in the church. <laughs> Are you with me? My father used to tell me, all right, be back in the house at 11 o'clock. And I would say, Dad, the party don't get started until 11.30, and they're not going to start without me. And he said, okay, you're the life of the party. Yes, you got to at least let me come at 1 o'clock. And he says, come at 1 o'clock at your own risk. <laughs> In this, we see that there is no place off limits for the gospel. There is no place unsuited and there is no person not worthy and unsuited to hear about Jesus Christ our Lord. The sufficiency of the gospel engenders faith when we come under its power and it gives a person Hope, which brings me to my second point. Oh, you, you got to come follow me. Please keep up with me. Uh, yes, the sufficiency of the gospel, listen, transcends fear and polarization, verses 41 and 42. I won't mention 42 much because 42 is self-explanatory. Are you listening? Uh, you can see what 42 does. We don't need to do any exegetical work uh, on 42. In verse 41, we see uh, what courage and compassion looks like. Courage and compassion is on display when, when approached by uh, the unapproachable, the untouchable. Jesus' reaction and response shows no indication of repugnance and disgust. Are you listening? I don't, I, don't, I don't need to say that again. This, this man had the gall and the rudeness and the audacity to bring his issues and his problems in Jesus' space. But watch Jesus. Jesus meets audacity with compassion. Yes, yes, it would be safe to say that he caught everyone almost off guard. Yes. Jesus, what Jesus did was highly predict unpredictable. 
it would be safe to say that, that this radicalism, this was a radical step on the part of Jesus. And, and sometimes, spreading the gospel, you got to get radical. You just can't stay in your nest of comfortableness. I'm not suggesting you won't get in trouble. I'm not suggesting that you won't have a cross to bear. But the gospel pushes us out into lands and spaces that we dare uh, go um, with, without him. I, I, I'm not going to finish this. I guess you know that by now. And, and, and Dr. Uh, Dr. Aiken need to bring me back for part two. <laughs> and so, and so, he throws compliance out of the window in terms of social and religious constraints. Uh, yes, 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 he does. And and he, he, he sets an excellent example. Jesus' love and his compassion, and watch this, the gospel will override your fears. The gospel, the gospel, Jesus uh, overrode, listen, a couple of things, and he vetoed, and I want you to know he still has veto power. Even though he is now the Christ, he sits on the right-hand side of the Father, he is our advocate, he is our lawyer, but he still has veto power. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad in the world that we live in, I am glad my Lord, my Christ, has veto power. He can, he can override my enemies. Are you with me? Let that be a lesson to you. Don't you mess with me. <laughs> yes, yes, he will override. He has, he has, he has veto power. And I just can't wait to see my next enemy. I'm going to tell him, did you not know, have you heard, heard what, forward that my Jesus has veto power? Yes, he can overthrow what you do to me. <laughs> so you're just wasting your time. Go mess with somebody else. While everyone was experiencing, watch this. While everyone must, was experiencing, listen, I teach my, my students how to be focused, and right now, I don't even know how much time I got. I don't care. So somebody got to say five minutes or four minutes or something. Better let me know something, because I am not focused on my, my watch. I'll let you do that. Amen. So when I get close, do that. that. Somebody say, five minutes, Reverend. Are you with me? Five minutes, five minutes. So, so while everyone around Jesus was having a phobia meltdown, <laughs> yes, this man, this man approached, this man was out of place, this man violated rules, this man decided that I am not going to abide by status quo. Got everybody upset but Jesus. <laughs> Everybody was, everybody was just, just having meltdown. Ooh, look at that. Who's that? Oh, just, you, you know how we do sometimes. That's the human nature in us. But Jesus shows calmness, incredible Holy Ghost. I can't say that in here, can I? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just Holy Ghost. Holy 
Ghost. I, I tell my, my preachers, my sisters, my, y'all ought to at least mention the Holy Spirit at least one time in your sermon. <laughs> and, and, and so Jesus remains calm. He, he, he's cool and, 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 and he shows no fear of phobia. And as you know, he reached out and touched thee and does thee unthinkable. Yes, he, he touched he touched him, and, and it appears that Jesus' desire to make this man whole was more important to him than following institutional rules. Oh, excuse me for raising my voice. I know I'm not supposed to do that here. But he, he, sets, he sets an excellent example. Watch, watch what he does. Jesus, listen, takes a risk. Jesus risked his his ritual and ceremonial fitness in order to make this man ceremonially fit. Yes, what great risk. He, he, he was willing to put himself out for the sake of bringing salvation to this, this man. Watch this. He becomes, he becomes, what a beautiful picture of salvation. He becomes sin for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. Let me, let me just move, move further. We, we have to watch how we, we, we express who Jesus really is in us, lest we teach him. For, for I've seen at, at least one of two times in my lifetime people who lay claim to the Holy Spirit and lay claim to the faith, and they will say, I want to be like Jesus. In other words, they almost declare that. And I would say to myself, well, if Jesus looks like that, I don't think I want to be like Jesus. It is, worth, it, is, it is worthy to note most of our fears, watch this, most of our fears uh, um, are not well-founded. But before I say that, you you got to understand what Jesus was doing. And if I don't say anything else, I'm talking to myself as a preacher and a pastor because this culture that we live in will influence you more than Christ. We have to watch and we must be careful. The dangerous thing about it and the idolatry of it is that we tend to confuse culture with Christ or at a minimum, we don't know the difference. I wish I had someone to say amen. Yes, yes. What, what Jesus did was not theatrical. This is not theatrics. What, what Jesus did was not theater. It was not performing to entertain. And of course, it was not sensationalism. We have to watch how we make the pulpit a place of theatrics, a, a place of sensationalism, a, a place to somehow or another shine light on ourselves as preachers. We have this, this, this habit of trying to steal some of Jesus' glory. I wish you say uh, amen. And 
And so our, our basic, our basic goal uh, as, as preachers, Jesus shows these, these, these people with, with leopard phobia, Jesus shows them what God looks like. Let that soak in your minds. He, he showed them, not only did he show uh, these people who were having phobia, leopard phobia, meltdown, he also showed the leopard what God looks like. I like that, for that is our basic task. Uh, we must show others what God looks like, and we must show others the thinking of God. The pulpit is not a place to show others what we look like. The pulpit is to show our listeners, show the world what God looks like. Michael Brooks, a, psych a psychologist, wrote a very interesting article entitled, How Do We Transcend the Polarization That Threatens America? Uh, I do not agree with most of, or at least some parts of, his argument, but I think I will share with you his takeaways, and I will quote, he says, are you tired of the anger, hate, and visual? Are you tired of demonizing the other side? It's time we look within ourselves to see that our way out of this anger and, and hate uh, is through a different way of thinking, but he does not say what that thinking ought to be. Our world is not either or, he says. The reality is that we are already living in a both and world. If we don't start acting in accordance with that reality, we will continue to suffer. The good news is that change and growth are always possible. And when I do this, when I redo this article, I'm going to say the good news is in Jesus Christ. His proposal omits, doesn't even mention Jesus. And I would like to suggest in my closing, because I'm not going to finish this, there is, however, uh, a living tension. There is a tension that is in Jesus. It is very clear. Jesus uh, removes, but also causes tension and polarization. We have to find a way to resolve that tension because he does both. While the gospel, listen, while the, the, the gospel, um, the gospel transcends fear and polarization, that same gospel is polarizing. One author said Jesus is the catalyst of crisis, a polarizing, divisive, destabilizing figure and force. But listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, 51, 53. Do you think for one minute that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From, from now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided 
father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother in law against daughter in law, daughter in law against mother in law. The power of Christ, he says, provoke division. We have to make a choice, choose, pick. For Moses came down from the mountain and he said, You guys got to make a choice. You guys got to make a choice. Do you remember the movie? Uh, great movie. Remember the Titans. Yes, remember the Titans. A great story. A great story. Uh, about how a community comes together. Uh, and it's interesting, sports brought them together. And while our world is torn apart, I don't want to suggest while our communities are polarized, I don't want to say remember the Titans, and that is the answer. I'm going to say to our polarized community and polarized church and families, don't remember the Titans, but remember Christ. Remember the words. Remember his action. Remember his preaching. Remember his teaching. Remember his life. Remember the gospel. And this brings me to my final point. The sufficiency of the gospel restores our most desperate human need and removes the stigma what kind of stigma? The scandalous stigma of our past. And with that, I will have to preach point three when Dr. Aiken bring me back. Praise God. Thank you. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for um, your sufficient gospel for in you we have life and in you we have it more abundantly i pray that you take what i have saved through the unraveling of the text use it in whatever way you deem necessary thank you now for our families thank you for for the possibility thank you for the reality of faith in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, let the church say, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.